there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of our Farm Equipment podcast series, Our Dealer's Story. In this episode, Alan Stenham of the Farm Equipment team sat down with part of the Camp family during the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California. Originally from South Carolina, Bill Camp, who's the grandfather to the current owners of Kern Machinery, was working for USDA and moved to California to introduce cotton production to the region in 1917. He started his own cotton farm in Kern County in 1936. Development of the California Aqueduct brought water and agriculture to Kern and Tulare counties at the southern end of the San Joaquin Valley. In response to the developing agricultural opportunities, Bill's son Don opened a John Deere equipment dealership in 1969. Today, the fourth generation is involved in the business. Alan sat down to talk with Don's sons Clayton Camp and his kids Clay and Katie. So it's doing good business today, but with an eye to the future on how do we need to be changing, what are the preparations, and bringing along the next generation, whether it's these or, or others, that uh, we need youth, we need brighter ideas. The, the old guard needs to, in some cases, get out of the way. That was Clayton Camp talking about the future of Kern Machinery and how they'll continue to provide solutions for their customers' issues. Before we head over to the camps, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this newest podcast series possible. We'll jump into the conversation now with Clayton Camp talking about how the family ended up in California and how that led to the opening of Kern Machinery. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? We'll start from Nick. Clay, why don't you start? Um, I'm Clay Camp, um, and I I work at Kern Machinery um, as the parts operations manager. Been in that that role now for a little over a year. So the background working at, at Stoats Equipment, um, the dealer just outside of Phoenix, uh, for a couple of years before coming back into the family business. Katie Campanici, um, fourth generation, Clayton's daughter, oldest child, and I do the marketing and advertising for Kern Machinery now. I was previously with a technology company for about five years doing the same thing. So just working on building our audience and targeting customers. Happy to be back in the family business. And I'm Clayton Camp, head janitor for Kern Machinery, and have been there 30-something years, 32, three years, I think, since 85, whatever that is. Well, this is a project to tell the story of family-owned dealerships, and of course, we've got uh, part of the, the, the family here, the Camp family. Um, Clayton, why don't you tell us, well, let's start with uh, some of the work your grandfather did. Uh, let's, let's go back to what he was doing, introducing cotton here in California. I'll, I'll let you tell that story. Okay. He graduated from Clemson in 1916. He was uh, born in South Carolina. His family was a, a farming family, very small farm. Uh, so he went to Clemson, he graduated, and his senior project had to do with cotton. USDA hired him to go to the Western states, especially California, and commercialize cotton for the World War I war effort uh, for airplane wings uh, that were wrapped with cotton. Uh, there was an issue uh, with the supply of cotton in the uh, Sea Island states. There, was, there were uh, insect problems and then also the importation, importing of cotton was uh, restricted by, I think, the Germans, I believe. 
And so uh, he went west and uh, he worked for the USDA, traveled in five states, uh, 32 varieties, uh, helped commercialize cotton. Cotton was already in California, but it wasn't very commercial. So he helped farmers understand how to plant, irrigate, uh, cultural practices. And, uh, and then he moved on from that and he helped uh, start the experimental station in Shafter, California, purchasing the ground for the government. Um, and then uh, again, worked around California and then uh, went to work um, for uh, the CCC, the Commodity Corporation out of Virginia, out of Washington, D.C. Uh, the family moved back there. They moved all around California as well as back east a little bit. And then he came back to California and went to work for the Bank of Italy through the Depression. And then in 1936, he started farming on his own just north of Bakersfield. And he uh, expanded the farm and uh, farmed into the, into the 50s with his two sons. And uh, or as the two sons came back, my father, Don, and, and my uncle, Bill, and uh, they, then my father continued. My uncle left the business and, and went into a different business. My father stayed and, uh, and expanded it, really expanded it with the uh, advent of the California Aqueduct, importing water south for agriculture and for people, for cities, uh, for human consumption. And uh, that's when uh, the John Deere business started. How, how did your grandfather and the family get involved with deer? My father was invited by a, uh, a partner to to partner with that person, Mr. Freeborn, on the first location in Button Willow. And my so it was really my father, but my grandfather came along. Um, he was still very active in the business, and so he agreed with my father that it would be a good thing to do, and, and uh, so they expanded into the farm equipment business. My father uh, managed it. He was still farming, so he did not have an office in the store. His office was on the farm, and they had uh, hired people, uh, hired a John Deere person, uh, and uh, had other help. and from there then expanded to the Bakersfield store and, and then shortly after that the Delano store and then brother Don uh, uh, expanded into the Lancaster store location years later. What were some of your memories? What, anything that you can remember from that time? What was it like? Was yeah it was it was uh, the west side of Kern County was it was like the Wild West uh, the the uh, calmer, older areas were to the east and to the south and to the north. I mean, from Arvin through Delano, it uh, was pretty uh, well diversified and, and into the farming game. The west side was opened up out of desert into uh, cotton mainly. That was the, the money crop at the time, um, all aqueduct water. And so it was, it was uh, more sprinkler type, a little bit rougher ground, but... Uh, I would call it Wild West. And then I remember he would have meetings at the store every week. And during the summer, I would go with him to his meetings. 
but not to attend the meeting, but rather to shoot jackrabbits with my 22 or whatever while he was in his meeting because there was jackrabbits and horned toads and wildlife and things like that because it was still not a very populated area. So I remember that and uh, then during high school years prior to having a license, I worked not only on the farm, but then at, at occasion I would work in the stores and parts inventory control. Um, and then uh, after college, did attend the uh, management meetings, board meetings that they had um, while I was on the farm. And that's then what led to my employment there uh, after I uh, stopped working on the farm. About what time, what year around was that? When I left the farm, it was 1985. I, I'm not sure if either of you are older than 85. I'm guessing no. No. <laughs> yeah, um, I was born in 90. 90. Just a couple years after that, okay. 89. All right, so the valley and the reason you guys are working with, um, you know, cotton being the, the major cash crop there. What, what was going on when things started to evolve? Um, what, what, was, what was that like when we started to move from, from cotton here in the valley, getting into some of the special crops? How did that impact the business? Well, it really started in the, in the Delano location. Um, yeah, they had more of an opportunity with uh, table grapes mainly, juice grapes also, wine juice grapes, uh, but table grapes and uh, the immigrants that were in Delano were uh, Czechoslovakians. They were, they were Slavs, so to speak, and, and they did a uh, wonderful job of growing table grapes. They, they had a passion for it. So Delano was the first location that started to uh, exit the row crop business mainly cotton, but also grains and alfalfa, uh, potatoes and uh, other row crops. And then uh, uh, Delano was there for, uh, in the permanent crop business, being almonds, table grapes, citrus, pistachio, walnuts. Um, and then the Buttonwillow location followed mainly due to the aqueduct, that, that expansion area of the aqueduct water uh, was pressurized, uh, which is pumped, it's pumped uphill from the Sacramento Delta to get to Los Angeles. So there's, there's, the water is not as uh, inexpensive as a local irrigation gravity flow district. So we saw the, the pattern, you could not afford to irrigate cotton with that water. So they had to go into more permanent crops or what we call higher value crops. Some like to call them specialty, but they're high value commercial production. They're not a specialty 20 acre farm. It's a high value 10,000 acre farm or something like that. So we saw that and then the Bakersfield area uh, has remained in, in row crop, but has been adding more permanent crop um, or high value crops. And so the progression started in Delano, went to Bakersfield or went to Buttonwillow and ended up in Bakersfield. Is that a shock to the system? Uh, you know, I, I would equate it to, uh, you know, an, an Iowan dealer being told that they don't have to sell, you know, equipment for uh, corn or soybeans, you know. Um, so what was the impact on your business when, when that transition happened? What do you remember from that? It was an impact on um, 
on the cotton picker sales and repair side of our business. Uh, and then we morphed into a, an orchard tractor business, a smaller tractor business. Uh, on, but then is when we really got interested in uh, the, the vendor lines or short lines, the non-deer lines as we're a deer dealer, uh, almond harvesters. It, it takes a lot of equipment for an almond farmer culturally to, uh, to circle the year, so to speak. It, it's uh, sprayers, harvesters, sweepers. Uh, so it's, it's been a good transition. Uh, we started, I remember the first almond machine, almond harvester company was Raymaker, it was 1988. And it's been a good transition for us. It hasn't, it hasn't been a painful one. It's just identifying the change and then uh, do, trying to do as good a job with that as we do with deer. Just providing, providing what our customers need and what they want. You have several divisions with current machinery, is that correct? We, yeah, we, we segment it um, between the parts, service, and sales. What we call the hauling division is just our, our trucks underneath the service wing. Uh, rental is also a big uh, part of our business that is involved in the sales department. And uh, that's, again, to provide what the customers need on a short-term basis if they don't want to purchase a higher dollar tractor that they only use for a month or two, we, we will rent. Renting has helped us with providing solutions, sometimes providing market share uh, in an area. It's similar to leasing, but on a short-term basis. It can, it's a 30-day rent is what it is. Everything's for sale every day, and uh, at times we have uh, upwards of 300 pieces in the rental fleet, so it, it is a department of its own. It's, a, it's an animal. Uh, that requires a lot of management, but it also provides a lot of opportunity for our customers as well as for the dealership. Hey, your brothers are involved as well with all the various holdings. Correct. I have two partners, or or there are three partners: the the three brothers and their wives. So there's six partners, and uh, brother Don manages the uh, engine distributorship business for us in the Western U.S and brother Edwin manages the farm for us uh, in California. Tell me a little bit about the family dynamic and maybe some of the challenges uh, you've had um, you know, managing the various holdings and assets with your brothers and, and keeping the ball rolling. Well, as far as dynamics, we're, we're pretty separate on the day-to-day -day operations and uh, we established a board of directors that includes two outside directors, non-family, and then the three brothers. So right now it's a board of five. That will be expanded, I believe, as we, as we continue into our succession planning and trying to make it a viable business, a viable operation for the future. Um, we're similar thinkers. In, in the business, so it's, it's uh, the decisions, the, the major decisions are made at our board meetings. The day-to-day -day management decisions of each business is left up to the operator, which is one of the brothers. Uh, and the outside directors have been a big help in determining a 30,000-foot direction, given good, uh, valuable input. So they have helped us make some decisions that I think it would have been hard for the family to make. So, um, 
the next generation, the fourth generation, is being brought along, albeit very slowly. Uh, it's it's slower than we like, but uh, and it's mainly because of the brothers. Just we're trying, we agonize over some of the the uh, processes, details, trying to see things as that will keep the business and the family, um, the business viable, and the family together. So. You guys need to say something. Yeah, say, in terms of some, we try to take advantage of synergies among the three companies where we can. We do share um, IT department, HR department, shared, shared CFO and some accounting. And so, in terms of other family dynamic, before I, I got into my role, in parts and the dealership, I spent um, a little less than a year working with my uncles in the other parts of our business, and, uh, and so it gave me a chance to see see those those parts of the company, uh, and, and that was a good good experience for me and something that I enjoyed and learned a lot. What are some of some things that, uh, or some ways you might see that your, your father compliments? your uncle and, and his brothers, or vice versa, how are some ways that they might balance each other out in the family, or even how you guys might provide some balance? Uh, yeah, I think um, all three of them are, are very, very thoughtful people and thorough thinkers. Um, I think that's that's something that I've learned, uh, some of the similarities. They, they think things through well, and, and so, uh, uh, in terms of, um, I mean, they're, but they're, they're different in ways too, um, and so they, they have some different, different backgrounds that they can, they can use together. So some good, some good similarities, but that's some useful differences too. Okay, you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, I think amongst the community, I think anyone that knows the three brothers or knows the business knows that it's a business with high values and good morals and good ethics. And that's something I think a lot of places don't often have in the longevity of family businesses. Um, you know that you're going to be treated fairly as a customer. You know that all three of them are going to go to bat for you and you can feel confident in knowing that that you're not going to receive the wrong end of the coin, I guess, so to speak. Um, from a family perspective, I can say that amongst the three brothers, there's eight children and some of those have been married and um, all the fourth gen appreciates as much time and effort our parents put into meeting and figuring out the future and we know that it's tedious and lengthy and painful but we're really appreciative and grateful of the information that they do provide and their long-term planning for the future not just tomorrow or two years from now but thinking of the family as a unit and wanting to make sure that family is first and business is second has always been a good you know thing business is very important but we do fun family activities together and tractor races and and other little things too so it's nice like what, what are your, some of your earliest uh, memories um, within the dealership and, and uh, the business itself yeah so I would 
um, in high school and even before that, I would go out to our store in Button Willow and, and spend the summers um, picking up trash and pulling weeds and um, washing windows um, in the store and outside, washing tractors. So, so it was um, a lot of time spent outside and then, and then I, I made it indoors and started spending some time especially in our parks and service departments, um, helping with, with parks inventories, um, and, um, and then kind of learning some, some, some business metrics pertaining to, to, uh, to our aftermarket department. So, so it's been yeah, a gradual, the transition from, from, uh, from outside to, uh, to, to the metric-based learning stuff. Okay, uh, same question to you, Katie. Go ahead. Um, you were just talking about this at a breakfast meeting this morning. I recall being 12 and having a transport van uh, that was provided for employees to travel out to Button Willow. And I remember my dad saying, you're going to work hard. And my mom driving me to the transport van drop-off at 4.30 in the morning to ride with the employees to go um, work out in the summertime. And did a lot of similar outside work with clay and cleaning of the bugs outside and spray painting poles and just really learning good values and good um, morals and ethics. And I think that's something that when you're in the moment, it's kind of frustrating once you wash all the windows and it's 105 degrees outside and then you're asked to wash them again just to make sure that there's no streak marks. Um, so it teaches you to kind of slow down and pay attention to what you're doing. But in the moment, it can be frustrating. Later on in life, you can look back and appreciate that. I'm now pregnant with my own, so I can see what my parents have, have tried to teach us and have taught us. Um, just coming along and I remember being 15 and working in the motorsports store and learning how to build the motorcycles and taking them off with a forklift out of their cages and that was really a fun time for me to get to do that and test drive the motorcycles and turn wrenches and, and do things that a lot of my other girlfriends weren't doing um, but I enjoyed doing things like that. What were some ways you encouraged uh, the kids and the family to get involved well, my wife and I said they would they would work somewhere in the summertime in their younger years. They could they didn't have to work with us, but they needed to work somewhere. They were not going to sit home. So we sifted through these jobs and and uh, it was an encouragement and then you, you know you had to get up and you had to be you had to go to bed on the right time in order to be ready for work. So it was, it was about uh, working with our employees, um, learning how to get along and um, not being given preferential treatment in that job, um, but having to, to uh, work for the manager of that department or wherever they were. They didn't, they didn't really work for me, so to speak. They worked for another manager, so they had to please them. Um, they had to learn how to get along. It was just part of life's training, I guess. We'll get back to the current machinery story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. 
To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Kern Machinery and what Clayton, Katie, and Clay each see for the dealership 10 years down the road and looking back to what they've learned from Don Sr. as well as from each other. Question. From each of your perspectives, you know, where would you like to see, where do you see the dealership and the, the business, the family business, 10 years? 10 years. Let's put a long tail on it there. Hard, hard to see out that far because California has a lot of regulation. A lot of, there's change going on uh, as we speak with water management. Uh, that's uh, we would we would hope to uh, continue in the in, in the engine or excuse me in the equipment business uh, through growth, either either through acquisition, uh, merger, or just growth in our own area. Uh, so we we hope to continue to grow as as we've grown in the years past. Um, we're using consultants and trusted advisors in our succession planning and, and they are very valuable in uh, helping the family chart the course of, of uh, trying to avoid the landmines of um, those things that that cause you to uh, sell the business or part company uh, so so we're making an attempt to use outside help to to uh, go down the road and hand off to the next gym. I would, I guess, echo that. Um, that's kind of what we talk about in our succession planning meetings. Um, I think it's unique and different to see. We've had the example of the third gen and the brothers to see what they've done. Um, and it's kind of been fun and different. They've asked for input and obviously the, the eight children and their spouses have different things that they're interested in and different avenues that they've chosen to pursue in college or career paths after that. So it's kind of fun, I think, to see potentially what different um, areas we might diversify into um, in addition to the dealerships and the farming and distributorship, but in other, in other areas that kind of encompass other people's interests as well and bring other people's talents to use. I think in terms of um, differences in the, the types of equipment that we sell at the dealership, I think that in 10 years we'll see see some new new types of, uh, of, of, of equipment and technologies that, that we will be selling um, because of labor and water constraints. And so we're seeing some of that now. Um, but, but I think that
customers are buying and just the um, the, the fill percentage that, that every dealership wants to continue to increase and, and so so we're looking at creative ways to do that better and so so inventory stocking with with the many lines that we carry um, is kind of an ongoing challenge and then and then from from a, a bigger viewpoint just um, understand keeping keeping track of, of of where where things are going with California water with um, with the sustainable groundwater management acts or Sigma that's that's coming and um, understanding that and how it will affect our our customers and our, our dealership and, and so that so that's um, probably one of the things that's most top of mind. Dealership, just business. And I think for me, um, probably more the customer side of it, internal and external. Um, internal being our employees, and just making sure that they have what they need and that they feel valued and important. Um, something that I think our family is really proud of is longevity. We had an employee just celebrate their 40th year anniversary with us, and a couple others 35 years. Um, and so that's something that we wouldn't obviously be where we are today without our employees and, and the work that they do for us. And then for our external, um, obviously our customers, our, our end users, um, just trying to make sure that we're always providing top-notch customer service and that I always say I want to provide the Amazon and the Uber experience for it to be seamless as possible for them. Um, so with my job and my role with marketing and advertising, trying to find out the different methods that there's been a shift with generation changes and not as many people read a hard physical newspaper as they used to. And so just making sure that we're kind of on the cutting edge of the newest technology for websites and different ways that we market and try to target people um, to continue our business growth. And, and it's providing solutions, which we pride ourselves on, is it doesn't have to be an equipment solution. We need to be involved in really anything our customers are involved in, whether it's a motorsports, uh, commercial lawn care, agricultural, rental, service customer, and you can segment each parts of these business. And uh, we need to be aware of the changes and we need to be participating in them, providing solutions to their issues. So it's, it's uh, uh, doing good business today, but with an eye to the future on how do we need to be changing, what are the preparations, and bringing along the next generation, whether it's these or, or others, that uh, we need youth, we need brighter ideas. The, the old guard needs to, in some cases, get out of the way. So realizing that and then finding the talent, attracting the talent, uh, you, we hire people better than ourselves. We hire smarter people. We don't, we don't go backwards on who we hire. We don't ever want to be average. We've got to be better than average to be a survivor in the business. So uh, that's, that's our goal is to be in the top percentage of, of equipment dealers uh, that, that we compete with. We want to be the best. And so we have to have the best people, which we do. Um, and like Katie said, we appreciate those we work with. So it's, it's that ball of wax on this changing business. How do we, how do we uh, stay ahead of it? 
um, and have a passion for the business. You know, we are very fortunate to be in the business we're in, starting with the grandparents, the, the, the parents, and uh, we want to pass along um, that passion also. What your takeaway was from your grandfather's experience, maybe what you learned from that, um, and uh, the, the beginnings of the business, uh, maybe maybe something that you personally kind of took away from that. So he would say, boy, tell me what you know. And I'd say, Pop, I think. And he'd say, no, boy, I don't want to know what you think. I want to know what you know. He would say, see what you're looking at. Don't overthink it. Just look at the problem and see what you're looking at. So that has helped me. Those two things have helped me very much. Maybe, um, Katie, maybe uh, what are some uh, takeaways that you might have uh, gleaned over the years from your grandfather uh, and Clayton himself? And same question to you, Clayton. I would say the same. Um, my dad's always told us, you know, his grandfather said, I don't want to know what you think. I want to know what you know. So if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say you don't know and you'll work on finding it and get back rather than say something that you're not sure of. Um, and I think that that's something that contributes to, to values and to integrity. Um, something too that's kind of ingrained with, with John Deere. Um, I did a report when I was in sixth grade on John Deere and then every job interview that I've ever had, I've used the quote that is kind of my, sort of my life motto, I guess. Um, and it was by John Deere, and it was, I will never put my name on any product that does not have in it the best that is in me. And that's something that our grandfather and father have always really instilled in us to make sure you're, you're working hard, you're doing a good job, and um, you're giving all the effort that you can, and it's your best foot forward. And I think something for me, um, both my, my grandfather and my dad are, are very um, intentional people and by that you know, when they're having conversations with us they ask uh, pointed questions and, and you can have meaningful conversations and they uh, it's, they, you can you can tell that that, that they they care when they're, when they're having conversations with them. I think uh, that's something that they that they carried to employees and customers through the years too. We, we still get people uh, coming up to, to my dad and my grandfather just saying that they, they've had long-standing relationships with them and, um, and, and they've maintained these relationships and, and it's because they, they care about people and, and, and they're intentional. So that's something that's, that's made a big impact on me. Okay, you're uh, part of the management uh, and you're a woman. And uh, so well, some, one thing we haven't talked about and we haven't touched about all this, uh, the women that are involved uh, in the organization and the businesses and what roles they play. And, and uh, yeah, you, any of you can feel free to you know, expand on any of this, but, you know, ask that question as well. It's definitely a different industry that you don't see women um, in as much. Um, I, I would say that it, farming hasn't really been something that was a woman's environment really to be in. It's definitely evolving more into that. And 
we have some some key management people that are that are women in charge. Um, but I think nowadays it's been there's been a shift. Um, California is obviously a little bit different, and I think current machinery has come along with that as as have the other family businesses. But um, in valuing a woman's opinion, um, that wasn't always always that way. Um, growing up when I was younger, you know, granddaddy learned things differently and always let you have your opinion and always valued your opinion, but it wasn't like any of the sisters or the girls were maybe the same as the boy. Like the girls didn't have to work in the field, in the dirt. We got to do other things, which I think I appreciated a little bit, um, but you know, you still had to work just as hard just maybe in a different arena. Um, so now being a part of, of the team and, and knowing kind of more of the inside story and the background, it's been it's been fun for me to kind of see on the inside how, how things work and, and how women are really treated equally. I know that sounds crazy, but um, still in a lot of industries they're not. And, and that's been something that the family has really tried to make sure that women are, you know, Right, right alongside with the men, just as equal, and their opinion matters just as much. And I value that because there are some in the industry that I've had conversations with other women in the industry, and they don't feel that same, um, that same thing for them. Any, any thoughts on what's the, some of the women and your wife and, and others, and, you know, the roles they've played and yeah, I think Katie touched on it. It is, it, uh, it, it has been a changing uh, landscape. There, my dad had a uh, woman manager in the Buttonwillow store um, probably in 1980. Um, and then uh, there was another manager there and then I followed his footsteps. So. And we've had uh, key managers in in uh, positions that it, it it really doesn't matter male female. Um, it, it's sometimes the ag side can be a little tougher, I think, uh, on a woman than on a man. And that that may sound like a sexist statement, and it's really not meant to be that way. It's meant to be more protective. So I, I, I see no barriers today. I, the, to me, the barriers are off. It's just about whether you can do the job. Thanks so much to Clayton, Katie, and Clay for taking the time to sit down and share their story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the new series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lestermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks again for joining us for this one-on-one -on -one conversation with the Camp family. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast.